Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that wields the mighty power of the song story and the way songs become entwined with our lives and our memories as a way to get to know our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Ryan Wolfgang. Ryan has been in the prop and decor field since 2003, first working in the motion picture industry, starting out as an intern and then working his way up to prop master on feature films, commercials for international brands and other various video, photography and TV projects. These days, he's assistant manager of props at Universal Creative. He's also a father, a part-time musician, and according to a mutual friend of ours, he's kind of like the Orlando version of me, for what that's worth. I met him in Orlando at a party last year and just knew we were going to have to get him in the Three Song Stories chair. Hey there, Wolfgang. How are you? I'm great, sir. How are you? I'm good. You don't have to call me sir, but that's okay. Um, So, (laughs) your name is Ryan Wolfgang. Is that your given name? Yes, it is. What percentage of people call you Ryan versus Wolfgang? Probably 2%. Uh, I I mostly go by Wolf, Wolfie, uh, or Wolfgang. And the 2% that call you Ryan are your wife and mother? Uh, Or somebody that doesn't know me. At work, you go by Wolfgang or uh, Wolfie? Yeah, mostly Wolfie. Yeah, most people know me as Wolfie. Yeah, I'll go with it, sure. Okay, Wolfie. Uh, So happy Friday the 13th. I had to play a little bit. <laughs> That's great. So uh, That's great. you make stuff. Uh, have you ever made any creepy stuff that would fill, fit into the Friday the 13th vibe? Yeah, a few things. So uh, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, uh, I did decor for for that team for eight years. So I, I've made a lot of scary things, uh, a lot of bloody things, and contributed to some pretty awesome uh, Halloween Horror Night experiences. Fantastic. Well, we'll get further into the stuff that you make up there, but let's go back to the beginning. Um, so where did you grow up and how would you describe like the music scene or the musical background of your childhood? So I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, central Pennsylvania. Um, was born in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, and then uh, lived and grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Huh. Uh, I had a yeah, pretty diverse. Yeah, home of the chocolate bar. Sweetest place on earth. Uh, so you went from the sweetest place on earth to the happiest place on earth. That's <laughs> so, right. I so go from one tourist <laughs> trap to the next. Oh, do you remember the first time that you saw music performed live? Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, before I lived in Hershey, I lived with my mom and dad in, in Camp Hill, uh, Eddersburg. I think that's what it's called, or Edders, Edders PA. <laughs> and uh, my mom and dad were in bands, both together and then separately. And my dad was a music teacher. So I was, from a very young age, exposed to music, which to me was all live because it was in my living room. Um, but if you're referring to my first like show? Uh, yeah, something that besides, you know, besides your parents. Yeah, so one night, I think it was, I was maybe four or just turned five. Uh, They had, at the Valley Green Mall, they had a cover band called The Sharks. And I remember my my mom took me down there, and we were in the the mix of the general admission, and it was a cover band playing cover tunes, but it was live rock and roll music as far as I was concerned. And the uh, at the end of the show, the drummer threw out a sticks, and I caught one. So that was, uh, I, I don't know if I caught it or it fell to me because I was probably the shortest person uh, in the crowd. But nonetheless, I, I got a stick, and that was my first uh, live show performance. It's just Did your stellar. mom say, you're going to be a drummer say, someday, honey? <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about that is uh, growing up, my dad being a music teacher, he would bring home uh, musical instruments all the time, just either for me to just play or, you know, two or three, he'd lay me on the, on the, on the ground, and I would play the baritone or, you know, blow in the baritone or saxophone. So he had gathered up a bunch of old drums and made me a drum set. So I, I did have like a little drum kit of just random different drums in my bedroom. 
And I played that from the time I could walk until, well, until I didn't have it any longer, until we moved out. But, uh, um, so, yeah. What kind of band were your parents play? Or what kind of music did they play? Um, well, back in the day, early 80s, um, middle 80s, it was kind of like, I don't want to call it disco because my uh, dad really didn't care for disco. He wasn't a big fan of a drum machine uh, for whatever reason. Uh, he was a bass player. So it was a lot of uh, soulful, poppy tunes. It's pretty much my three songs, honestly. Um, so real soulful. I can remember taking that drum set uh, that they put together for me into the living room and they had a lot of records, and we would play a lot of records Saturday mornings or just all throughout the week. And uh, one was Bruce Springsteen. I don't remember. You probably know. It's the album with uh, his butt, and you see the, the red handkerchief. Born in the USA. Butt. Richard uh, Jared knew that without even having yeah, to Google. Yeah, man. And uh, so, yeah, again. So what? do you know what year that came out? Uh, Jared's looking right now. I'm going to guess probably like 85. 85, that sounds about right. Wow, 1984. 84. Good job. 84, yeah. So it came out, you know, 84. I'm playing it probably by 85. I'm three, four years old. And we would put that thing on, and I would play to it just constantly. Like, that's that's what I did was just play to that album. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. You know, come to find out, I was playing with Max Weinberg, you know. (laughs) You know, I... But but the biggest thing you know that the parents would say is steady beat, rise, steady beat, and that's um, that's where I learned. Uh, did you try your hand at any other instruments back then, or did drums pretty much uh, you know beat? Was that your center of gravity? So from there, uh, he put a trumpet in my hand, and then uh, he was a euphonium player. He, my dad, was a euphonium player, which is a baritone with a fourth valve, and. Um, he went to college for it and uh, actually found one of his tapes from his senior recital. Um, it was fun to listen to. Um, but uh, he brought home a trumpet since my mouth wasn't big enough to fill the embouchure for a baritone. So I had a trumpet that he brought home and uh, I would play it and I would puff my cheeks out like Dizzy Gillespie. And I learned how to play it. I could play a scale, you know, before I went to elementary school. I could play just a regular C scale. Um, and then he taught, he brought home this other video and was like, Oh, you can't puff out your cheeks. You know, you gotta keep your embouchure tight and your mouth tight. So I, I practiced that and I couldn't stand it, you know, learning something new. I just couldn't, I was like, nah, this is difficult. It's not the right way to do it. Cause same thing, uh, playing the drums. He, uh, I used to play open-handed. So if you know, anything about drums it's uh typically your right hand plays the hi-hat over top of your your left hand playing the snare but learning i played uh, open-handed left hand um on the uh hi-hat and then right hand on the snare um but he was like no you got, if you're gonna play it the right way you know this is how you gotta do it now you know 30 years plus later uh i know a couple open-handed drummers and some of the things that they can do i can't because i'm a i'm a cross-handed player um so i wish that i would have stuck with the open-handed playing but nonetheless uh it, it was still fun if you picked up a trumpet now could you play a c scale if you let your cheeks puff out <laughs> it wouldn't sound very good Hmm. Uh, what was the first band or musician that you, you know was you were attracted to? Something that you know you started to identify with that was outside of maybe what your parents had exposed you to. Boy, that's that's tough because you know just the radio affected me. You know, I remember driving in the car and listening to George Michael's uh, "I Want Your Sex" <laughs> and being a little kid. It's like, whoa! You know, are we allowed to talk about stuff like that? And just like the feeling and the emotion of listening to uh, things like uh, Pink Floyd, Um, you know, Halloween came and uh, Pink Floyd, we got, we, my sister got a new Pink Floyd album and put that on. And it was, um, man, uh, not dark side of the moon, but um, 
was it Crazy Diamond? Is that an album? Uh, Jared? I should know these things. Shine on you, crazy. Shine diamond. on you, crazy Damn diamond. Well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like we listen to what when the voice kind of goes out and he says, "One of these days, I'm gonna cross your fortress," or whatever, whatever he says. You know, we listen to that over and over again, and that affected me. You know, those are some of my early memories of being affected by hearing a song. Um, but as far as an artist, you know, definitely that Bruce Springsteen album. Uh, definitely inf- influenced me. Um, and then just all of the funk, disco, uh, they would play prints a lot in the house. Um, and then growing up, then um, <laughs> taking a turn, uh, I then moved in with my grandparents uh, when I was about nine. And um, I think probably about 12, um, I started getting into Garth Brooks. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and uh had had all of his albums and you know i wore a hat uh i couldn't afford cowboy boots but i had like boots that my grandma gave me that were like not cowboy boots but they were like kind of boots but they were her boots but i didn't let anybody else know that yeah you don't go around saying i'm wearing grandma's boots no nah, uh-uh. but um, i had like a duster and stuff so i identified as a cowboy even in hershey pennsylvania wow okay well let's get to your first song but real quick aside um so you know brian hughes biff who i call him biff you probably just call him hughes the guy that introduced us uh he and i mm-hmm. grew up together and we were in a youth group and we went away on a summer trip the year that george michael album came out and so here imagine a bunch of 14 year olds in the back of a van on a church trip listening to that album <laughs> Oh man, that's great. You know, that was like, that was the start of like, um, I don't know, to me, to me in, in my life, that was like the start of music, shock music, you know, and, and freedom of speech and all that. I know that before, you know, 60s, 70s, there was a lot of political music written, but, uh, you know, I feel like during the 80s, that whole sexual world of music that, that kind of is, you know, now a little bit you know with your your madonnas and your george michaels and your prince and mm-hmm. you know, all of that especially when you were a kid then um okay oh, yeah. so let's do this this uh this boogie oogie oogie song what's the story or do you want to listen to it how would you like to proceed well i can give a little backstory because it's all about to me it's all about the beginning it's all about the intro um so back living with mom and dad they were in bands you know and and I never really got to go to the shows. I'd be there for practice and like meet the people and just kind of be in all of them playing in my living room and real good players too, you know. Um, this was in Harrisburg. And uh, so they were in bands <clears throat> later on. I don't know exactly the time, but I came across one of their tapes and it was, um, and it was the first time in my life that I heard my dad play music you know other than his you know music teaching and uh uh he passed away when i was seven or six uh, and uh so you know it's a little emotional so i try i'm trying to hold it together a little bit for you and mm-hmm. not, not sound too soft but um but hearing uh so i found a tape and i put it in and it was th- it was this song and the bass line uh is the opening for it and just hearing that and knowing that that was my dad playing was like awesome and then you know and then the song goes you know and it's playing and then all of a sudden my mom starts singing and it's like holy s you know i guess i can't i, I shouldn't swear because um, people might listen to this um or i know they're gonna listen to this uh, so it was like holy crap you know that's my mom singing so it was a a tape from one of their live gigs of them playing this song. So it's a pretty, pretty big deal for me. Um, Just knowing, you know, like, Hey, someday you could make a tape and your kids could listen to it and be like, Holy crap. That's my dad playing. Yeah, absolutely. How old were you when you came across that tape? You know, I've been for the last couple of weeks, I've been trying for this podcast. I've been trying to think about that moment and all I can remember is the look of the tape and then hearing that first note. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> but where I was, how old I was, who knows? 
Well, let's listen to it, uh, imagining that. This is uh, uh, Brian Wolfgang or, or Wolfie or Wolf's uh, first song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. This is Boogie Oogie Oogie by Taste of Honey off the 1978 album of the same name. I don't suppose you still have that tape, do you? Somewhere. Somewhere. I have it somewhere. Yeah, last time uh, <clears throat> last time I played it, you know how tapes, when they get old, they get that high-pitched squeal? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know that it's wearing out. You know, So I put it in a safe place, and it's in, in with the archives. Uh, what were you thinking about? What was going through your head, or what were you feeling when we were listening to that? Just awesomeness. <laughs> I mean, how can you not listen to that song and just feel awesome? You know, it just makes, you know, makes you want to get up and move around and just forget about everything for a little bit. Does your band play that song? No. No? <laughs> but, you know, maybe after they hear this, they might um, be interested. Or we could mash it up with something. We tend to do that from time to time. Uh, your bio says you're a father, so you have at least a kid. Uh, what, what's your what's your kid status? I have two very awesome children. Uh, I have a son who is six, and I have a daughter who's eight. Hmm. You know, it occurred to me you saying you know you 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 came from we came from a time where a tape like that would have been you know like a, almost like a relic. But we're living in a world now where, where there's lots of recording going on. So kids, you know, they'll whether you make it for them mindfully or not. Kids will have records of their parents in a different way. Isn't that great? You know, even with what you're doing with just capturing everybody's three songs, you know, uh, it's something that will live on forever. I think we're in such an awesome day and age of just capturing and archiving. I think it's just important to remember to to store these things, you know, store them in a safe place and back them up because... Nothing in this world lasts forever. Hmm. And I will say that you have a very, very um, shallow impact in terms of online presence that I can find. So hopefully you are <laughs> archiving and re- recording something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I try to keep it that way. I don't. I, I, I get it. Um, so when you were in high school, what was your vibe? Like, where did you fit in? Um, everywhere. Um, so I, I played sports uh, early, like uh, elementary school, junior high. So I was real active and made a lot of friends. But music was always there in my back pocket. And then when it came time to like kind of make that decision in high school of like, well, where's your time going to go? It was difficult to split it into sports um, and navigating that world with the musicals and the plays and the jazz band, orchestra, choir, uh, regular band, marching band, all of the, you know, and then I had my own bands on the side too, little rock bands, little swing bands, all kind of stuff. So what, I chose, I chose music. What was your primary sport? Um, I played soccer and baseball were my two, two big sports. Did you, um, I played baseball growing up, but then I ended up a better golfer. So that's what I did in high school. But I never really resonated with the baseball players because I was an artsy kid deep down inside. Did you have any of that, that, that tension or friction when you were playing baseball as an artsy kid? <laughs> yeah, you always kind of have that, you know. Uh, I think there's somewhat of a layer back then. I don't know, maybe even now, you know, it's like if you're a, quote-unquote band nerd you can't be a jock you know but i think that there's been enough examples of people breaking that mold uh nowadays that you know kids kids are kids and and people are people and whatever they're gonna do they're gonna do um but you know for me i think one of the things that you know that i always went back to and it was probably in my own mind or definitely in my own mind but was that like all the kids that made the high school team, their dads were coaches like growing up and everything. And it was kind of like, I didn't have that. Like my grandfather was, he was always there for me, always took me to practice and all that, but wasn't, you know, he wasn't a coach. So navigating that political field um, or what I perceived to be that slight, you know, advantage that they might've had making the team. If it was between, you know, the, 
the coach's uh, son or the band kid. Uh, they might have taken the coach's son. But to be fair, uh, I didn't really even try out uh, for high school team, high school ball, because I knew that entertaining people was what I wanted to do. And um, while you can do that in baseball and soccer and, and all of that, um, I thought that my greatest chance of entertaining people was through music. You mentioned theater. Were you on stage or was that the origins of your create creating stuff? Yeah, started in the pit, um, playing the trumpet in the pit orchestra. And then was like, you know, I think I could get up on stage. So uh, I think my first musical was uh, Crazy For You, um, uh, which is a great musical. And I had to learn how to tap dance. So not only did I have to sing on stage, I had to tap dance on stage. <laughs> so, hey, man, you know, that's, inter- that's show business. So, uh, so I got up there and I did it. What percentage uh, then, of your close friends and bandmates these days know that you could tap dance? <laughs> well, they've seen me get down a couple times. Okay. I'm Sorry sure to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't fit into those tap shoes, but I could always screw some pennies to my shoes. There you go. You know, Depending on what the night's looking like next time we're together, Mike, maybe we can uh, make that happen. That would be a miracle. hey if i'm doing it you gotta do it too okay it's a deal um so so you did you were going to continue on with what you were saying about theater before i so rudely interrupted no i think that went in the right direction for sure okay uh, i got you i got you to commit to tap dancing with pennies on your shoes yeah yeah now i have to avoid orlando for the rest of my life I'll find you in the woods somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so you got through high school. Like, what was your track in your head when you were in high school? Were you looking to, you know, get out and be a rock star? Were you looking to go to Broadway? Like, what was your, like, hope at that point, or did you have one yet? Uh, so I wanted to be a music teacher like my dad. Um, uh, long and short of it. But I was also lazy. Um yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to, you know, take the quick way out. Um, so like I applied to the big schools, the Penn States and all that. And I mean, my grades weren't fantastic. Um, and I wasn't that great at playing music either. Um, <laughs> pretty much as I am now, pretty mediocre at, at a lot of things. Um, but uh, maybe not great at one thing. Um, so I kind of sold myself self short maybe a little bit. Um, but going through it was like at the end of high school, there was uh, all of a sudden a bunch of like um, lawsuits against teachers for like inappropriate touching and things like that. Mm. And I, and I kind of got scared with that. So you know, leaving high school, I knew I wanted to be in the music field of some sort, but I didn't know how exactly. But, you know, I also saw record companies and I had gotten involved with um, John Harris, who was like a big promoter in Harrisburg of local bands. And like I said, I was in a pretty killer band in high school, uh, swing band for two years. And uh, we were gigging every weekend. We all had jobs when we started, but we all ended up quitting our jobs and made enough money to kind of like be teenagers and then have a little extra. What was it um, called? So it was Brown Derby Junction. It was okay. a swing band. And uh, so through this, we started learning the music business. And I was like, man, I, I think I want to be in the music business. Like this teacher stuff seems sketchy. Like, you know, big part of teaching music is showing people how to breathe and, you know, body, you know, your body is a big part of playing music, whether it's the drums or the trumpet or singing, you know, your body is the instrument a lot of times. So, you know, it's not uncommon for a teacher to place his hand on your face or on your stomach, you know, and I didn't want that to kind of, I didn't want that to be my downfall. You know, Hmm. it's like, let's avoid that. But this music business thing seems fun. Um, So when I went into college, I went for 
music business is what I started looking for. Um, and um, so I ended up taking a music major with elective studies in business. And within that was kind of like a, uh, a lowbrow music business study. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I went for. Um, and, I w- and I went to school in Clarion, Pennsylvania, um, which was fun. And I joined a music fraternity. Yes, I'm a fraternity brother. However, um, also, you know, people like uh, Mr. Rogers and John Coltrane are in, and John Williams are in my fraternity. So that's pretty cool. Phi Mu Alpha Sinfonia, uh, Hail Sinfonia. But uh, <clears throat> so it was like I knew I wanted to entertain people. I didn't know how exactly. Uh, I thought music was the way that I was going to do it. So went there and then ended up halfway through my state school residency. I moved down to Florida, took the, took the leap, didn't know anybody down here, uh, and finished up, got a recording arts degree. Um, and then from there, they placed you in like an internship. And that was on a set of a motion picture um, DVD thing. And it had music involved. It was kind of like a Mr. Rogers um, curriculum. Because since they were taking music out of schools, they were replacing it with DVDs. Hmm. So I was working on making those DVDs <clears throat> as an intern, unpaid for seven weeks. And I had puppets involved. And it was like, you know, movies, essentially. Um, and I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Like setting the set for everybody and like doing the props and the set dressing and that kind of thing. So talked to uh, a couple people and was like, hey, I think this is where I want to go. They were like, but you have an audio degree, you know, and you're a musician. I was like, yeah, but driving around in a truck moving couches sounds fun to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If I only only knew. Um, So that kind of propelled my prop and set decorator career. Um, And that's what I've been doing for the last, well, 18 years, almost 20. No. Awesome. We'll get into the work you do with that, but we're going to do your first, uh, your second song. Um, but real quick, I just wanted to ask, so uh, a little tease to the future. So in your bio on your website, it says, I, uh, you found deep pleasure in telling a story without using words. Um, so big fan of Tom and Jerry? <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, no, just I like things. I like tangible things. Silent movies? <laughs> yeah, no, I get where you're going with that. But. Okay, it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, okay, well then let's do your second song. It's the uh, it's the which it's the Bill Withers song, right? Correct. So, um, uh, what do you got for us? Well, um, I think it's it's pretty long and short. Uh, pr- uh, sorry, it's pretty short and sweet. Not long and short. Uh, it can't be both, or can you? Um, but. Like I said, after my father passed, when I was six, it was just my mom and I. My uh, little sister hadn't been born yet, and my oldest sister was out following the Grateful Dead. So um, it was just my mom and I, and this is this song is that point in my life. You want to listen? Yes, sir. Just the Two of Us by Bill Withers, released in 1981. It was actually recorded by Grover Washington Jr. with Withers on vocals. It's Ryan Wolfgang's second song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. So you have like really firm memories of listening to that with your mom? Yeah, it just takes me back to that time, definitely. You know, when I was sharing this, I was like, hey, mom, I called my mom uh, a little bit ago, and I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to be on this podcast, and they asked for three songs, and she was, I was like, I I really want to tell you what these three songs are. She's like, oh, don't tell me. I want to wait and and listen to it. I was like, I'm going to tell you anyway. Anyway, uh, so I was like, you know, I know you and dad played this, you know, uh, the Boogie Oogie Oogie song, and then the second one, I was like, it's going to be this Bill Withers because it reminds me of you. She's like, well, you know, we played that one too. And I was like, that's right. We, you did play that. It was on the same tape. Uh, and I had forgotten that until she reminded me. Huh. But come on, what a, what a great song. That opening lyric, that bass intro. I will say that both the songs you've chosen so far have really solid bass grooves. This is true. 
true. <laughs> uh, in your work as a prop designer, have you ever created a castle in the sky? No. Made a sand castle once out of styrofoam and sand and Elmer's glue. But, uh, boy, I feel like I've created some castles in the sky, um, just not tangible ones. Hmm. Um, so you've talked about, we've talked about what you're doing now. So what is your job title there? And you're working for Universal Creative, right? Uh, actually, I'm with Universal, uh, Universal Entertainment. Uh, I was with Creative for, for a little while um, and did a lot of great things with them. Uh, now I'm with back with entertainment. So entertainment's the same division that does Halloween Horror Nights, which I spoke of earlier. Uh, but now they're starting to get into more capital projects, and um, I'm helping to lead those endeavors. So those are anything new, uh, entertainment-related with uh, specifically right now uh, Universal Orlando Parks, but we have some other new uh, things and ventures happening uh, all over the United States. And what is your so title? Like, what do you like? What's it, what's it say on your business card? Scenic producer. Scenic producer. Hmm. So yeah, just in charge of um, you know overseeing the infield scenic uh, direction, working with both the directors and the art directors and the vendors that are building everything and making sure that uh, everything goes uh, well. I won't say as planned because nothing goes as planned, but uh, making sure that you know everything's up to the standards so that when the guests come through it, they have the best experience possible. So would it be fair to say you're like, you're more of a, a big picture architect kind of person now and less of a carpenter kind of person now? Uh, big picture architect. I wouldn't use that word, but yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, you, you know, making a scene yeah. that works together rather than building the individual parts of the scene. Correct. Yes. Hmm. Um, now I'm kind of bringing all of those pieces together and making them fit um, harmoniously. What projects are that you that are you currently on deadline for? If you're allowed to say. Well, um, I just. Uh, we just opened Universal's Great Movie Escape. Uh, that's at City Walk. Um, so it's Universal's take on an escape adventure uh, room. Uh, one of them's based on Back to the Future. The other one's based off of Jurassic World. Uh, both awesome experiences and uh, proud to be part of them. Um, so after overseeing the scenic, I also uh, did all of the prop and decor. So Anything that you touch when you go through there or anything that you see um, that's a, a prop or set dressing, uh, I either made it myself or procured it or had it fabricated. Um, yeah. Are you, in, are you into popular, you know, culture like Jurassic Park and stuff like that so it's super neat to be around this stuff or not? That's a tough question, Mike, because, you know – People might hear this answer. <laughs> oh, nobody listens to this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Back to the Future, I've always been a fan of. Um, again, that nostalgia uh, of what they created during that movie was just incredible. You know, it holds up to this day. You could you could watch it and show. I could show my kids, and they'd be like, "Oh man, that was a great new movie," and they would they wouldn't know the difference. Um, so, definitely a big fan of that. Dinosaurs are awesome. You know, like talk about film filmmaking. Um, you know what what Spielberg created in Jurassic Park was just incredible. You know, uh, it set the bar for movie making, and they continue to do so. You know, um, I think it's great to be part of a Spielberg park. Uh, all of it fascinates me. Uh, when you're behind the scenes and you see how the things are made, maybe it loses a little bit of the shine <laughs> i will say uh, but you know things like going to gack school so i got to learn how to make slime in my career so like nickelodeon that green slime mm -hmm. right is so that called gack this, well they called it gack school <laughs> okay. because that's where you kind of learned if you were if you're uh deemed to be like good enough prop guy or set dresser guy like you got to go through this special training, you know, 
and it was only a couple people that learned it um, after the original crew had had made the recipe for what what vomit is and what edible snot is and what what you know just the slime on you can't do that on television you remember that show heck yeah i do (laughs) (laughs) see now that's the stuff i i geek out about um all the other stuff is is great you know um but yeah going to slime school was probably definitely a highlight um but no i love all of that stuff harry potter um uh i really love dr seuss Uh, i think there's a lot of great lessons there and a lot of the new stuff too i mean trolls is timeless i'm a big trolls fan big minions fan course i have a six and an eight year old why not you know we're actually going to the parks tomorrow i'm looking forward to it gak is a nickelodeon slime toy thing for kids okay so it's, it's basically yeah that same nick slime but hey kids here you go play with it <laughs> did you uh did you have to sign like a non-disclosure agreement to not disclose how nickelodeon slime is made i've i've had to sign many non-disclosure agreement <laughs> well now's your chance man <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> uh like what other for what other projects or can you even say that um well just what they try to do is just to protect what what the future of the parks are um they they definitely try to protect the company in that right so that competition um, doesn't try to leverage that knowledge, right? Because um, it's all about the almighty dollar. Um, and it's all about who can get that almighty dollar first, it seems. So, you know, I, I just kind of do it. <clears throat> I go in, do my job. Um, I share it when it's time to be shared. And uh, I'm very grateful to be part of it. Uh, do you get any kind of sort of special access because of your job there for your kids? Do you know? Do your kids know that Dad works at Universal or with Universal? Yeah, I mean, we get our uh, our free passes every quarter, um, and um, they have what they call the Blue Pass. I think I can talk about this. They have what they call the Blue Pass for certain departments um, and certain roles. And actually, coincidentally, uh, tomorrow I'm going to use that Blue Pass. This is the first time I'm ever going to use that. Blue Pass. I've been with the company uh, for the exception of the um, 2020 um, pandemic year. Uh, it'll be going on 15 years this year. So I've been there quite a bit. Um, and this will be the first year where I get to use this Blue Pass, which basically is just an express pass for employees. Uh, get you to the front of the line in, in certain instances. So um, hopefully I can show my dadism show my dad uh, manliness or whatever you call it, my dadness uh, tomorrow, and hopefully the kids will be like, ah, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, you're just going to spoil them and they're not going to know what, what they're missing someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Normal life will not be the same. Yeah, it's all downhill for you for, for theme parks for you kids. Um, do you have a favorite project that you've worked on you know, there through Universal over the years? Well, going through that slime school was, was pretty awesome. Um, well, I meant something you made, something that people saw, something that you were, you know, that you had your stamp on somehow. Um, so, uh, Harry Potter Castle um, was pretty awesome to be part of when we did the original Harry Potter Land in Universal Orlando. Um, we all kind of got brought on because we were been working on movies, so. I had worked on a lot of movies or a handful of movies and TV shows and a lot of commercials. So they brought in a crew at Universal to decorate this land, this new Harry Potter land uh, that was supposed to be the most immersive uh, amusement park that had ever been created. And it is still to this day. Um, There's others that, that compete, but I mean that, that original really can't, can't be beat. Uh, The ride's great both of the rides, um, all of the little shops are great, but we got to decorate that, um, the castle and all of that land. And that was pretty incredible to be a part of, um, looking, not only looking back, but at the time, you know, when you're working on something, you know, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. 
but you kind of knew that the art was being created and like something special was definitely being created just because it was like, no, that's not right. We need to fix it. And it was one of the few projects that was like, no, it doesn't matter what it costs. You know, we're going to, we're going to make it right. You know, that's not what it says in the book or that's not what it was in the movie or this has never been created. And this is, you know, what we're going to create. So that was really awesome to be a part of. And then some three or four or five years later, when, I was on the installation of that same attraction uh, in Hollywood. And I was like, so where's our reference material? You know, like what, what's our, what's our guidelines? And they handed me a book of all of the things that we had created hmm. previously. And the, and it was like, we created the book that they had used in Japan and Hollywood and they built it in China as well. So, that was that was pretty great to be part of. I will say I, I haven't read Harry, Harry Potter. I've seen most of the movies, but I took my daughter there when she was, I think, just about to turn thirteen. Huge Harry Potter fan, and man, to see it through her eyes, like you guys knocked it out of the park, to say the least. Oh man, see that that right there just gave me a little bit of goosebumps. That's what we're here for. Um, so um, did you ever, can you think back to some object or assembly or however you characterize it that you made that seemed impossible when you first heard about it, but then you made it and felt a sense of pride because you accomplished it? Everything, man. Good answer. Yeah, yeah everything. Every, everything, it's like, that that's what I pride myself on really, you know, is like if somebody has an idea, I want to make that idea a tangible thing. And that's kind of like what I said in my bio was like, I, I create stories through things, right? So working on a movie and the guy's carrying a paper bag, you know, that paper bag came from somewhere. Um, it, it had a, it had a beginning, you know, and it has, what we're capturing now and it'll have an end. Um, <laughs> it's kind of cheesy, you know, as a prop guy to kind of talk like that. It's just the paper bag, man, you know, <laughs> but, um, but to me, like everything has it to read, to read something or to see a sketch of something and then turn that into an actual thing that a guest can touch is one of the most challenging and rewarding things that I do. It's awesome. Uh, I might be speaking out of term here because I'm not a dad yet, um, but I know most dads like pride themselves in the things they build and accomplish, you know, like in a workshop or whatever. You're just the ultimate dad from that sense, you know, getting to build um, Hogwarts and stuff. That's like ultimate top tier dad, you know? Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and you said, yeah, are, are you expecting or anything? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm yeah, just saying right. that's, that's far down the line. <laughs> if you didn't call him out on it, I was gonna, Wolfgang. <laughs> Come on, I caught, I caught that. <laughs> nice job. Nice job. Um, okay, we're going to head toward your third song here. But first, uh, what's your band's name? I, that's how I, I saw you guys play. You guys were kind of the headliner at, at Shelly's party, right? Yeah, I mean, it was that was a great lineup. You had... Uh, uh, you had Derek and Matt Lapham duo. I mean, phew, come on. As far as Orlando goes, those two, they're, they're top notch, right? Um, play all different kinds of stuff. And then you had um, Brendan and Mary, um, uh, No Poblano and, and Rose, Mary Rose Pepper. Um, <laughs> and it was great to see Mary out there. Because Mary hasn't sang, she's she had a child and uh, she hasn't sang for a little while. But it was fantastic to see her. And girl still got it. Let me say that girl still got it. Um, and then yeah, the uh, we're the Wilted Chilies. Um, you can look us up on Facebook, Wilted Chilies. Um, uh, we actually happened to secure the Best of Orlando Jam Band category this year. Wow. So we ran, ran away with that one, which was a shock, but also a, a great honor. We got, we got runner-up probably four years ago or so. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just I love this band. Some could call us a cover band. Some could call us a jam band. I call us a dad band. 
even though we're not all dads um, yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, I, I, you know what I'm saying. You I know, know what you're saying. The, yeah, we yeah. got the New Balance rocking. Yeah, uh, man. But uh, but we have a good time, you know, and and it's all about the music and just playing playing songs that people want to hear. Maybe not all people, but our people. <laughs> we play some interesting um, covers of some jam bands that people may or may not be familiar with, which is great because uh, after the show, I love hearing people come up and be like, dude, those those two originals that you did, man, those are really great songs. <laughs> and we have zero original songs. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, uh, but it's really fun. You know, we, we have a good time. That's for sure. Well, that was a, that was a, as far as I go, that was a raging party. I, I stayed up later that night than I have in ages and, <laughs> and, and you guys were great. All the music was great. It was a great scene. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that whole thing. Um, okay. So time for your third song. Yeah, man. Anytime I'm feeling down, I throw this one on period. Is there a reason why? Is there an origin story or something like that? I wish there was, Mike. I, I, I kind of do. The other one have, uh, other two have pretty decent stories. You know, um, how I far guess back? To, most recent. If, if you had to guess, how far back does that you know uh, role that it plays go for you? Is that fairly recent, or is that like a more lifelong thing? Uh, this song, yeah. I could remember hearing it when I was a, a child. You know, a, a younger child, just kind of like I, at the Pomeroy's department store, you know, playing uh, over the loudspeaker, um, just as kind of like background elevator music. Um, and maybe that's my connection to it. But, you know, a little bit ago, I was kind of in a funk. You know, we all kind of get in funks and that's okay. So I have a speaker in my shower and I connected Bluetooth and I just hit my Pandora to shuffle. And this song popped on, <clears throat> and man, that just, again, you know, just hearing that calmness and that laid-backness of this track just put a smile on my face, you know, and it was like, everything's okay, and everything's going to continue to be okay. All right, let's imagine Wolfgang in the shower listening to, <laughs> <That's not. laughs> listening to this song, uh, Soulful Strut by Young Holt Unlimited from the 1968 album of the same name. This is Ryan Wolfgang's third and final song here on Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. Yeah, that'll definitely put a spring in your step and your heart. Right. I agree with that. Jared said that he's a huge fan of this episode because he knows all these songs. He's a big like old soul guy, and so he he he's 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 in there bopping around. Oh man, I hope everybody is. I hope no matter where they are, they're yeah. I know you you might not play the whole song, you know, but um, hopefully they hear the song and then they go look it up somewhere on Spotify or YouTube or whatever, you know, and hear some different versions of it. Because man. You know, it was, I will say, Mike, it was tough coming up with three songs, but I just kind of went, went with it. Um, I could, those, those three to me are, are solid in my top six constantly, you know? So it was like, well, I'll, I'll go with those. But then the, the other three just kind of rotate and there's a new one every day, almost. What's a band or musician you've come into recently or a song? And I was hoping you would ask me that. There's this um, Dijon, D-I-J-O-N, uh, and the song's called Dress. And man, that is a hot song. It's just hot. Um, so look that one up. Um, that, that one came across on some playlist um, when I was at work, and I wrote it down, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. That's, that's a good one. Good track. <laughs> I haven't listened too much to this artist. But um, my man's definitely got some soul to him. And this song in particular is just... Yeah, you're definitely a fan of the strong bass groove. Yeah, man. I, I enjoy good groove. I think that's, you know, it's all about what fits in the pocket, right? Right. Um, you, you, um, you're married. Do your and your wife's musical tastes align or, or not? No. Is there any Venn diagram overlap? 
So I will say she got me into kind of the, what I call white boy reggae. I don't know if that's PC nowadays, but the revolutions and the tribal seeds and uh, sublime supervillains, right? Like, come on, supervillains are awesome. Never miss a supervillain show if you get a chance. Um, but yeah, she got me into that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I enjoy that. What's her vibe then, or her groove, or her, like, what is her main thing that is not in the Venn diagram? <laughs> uh, they listen to a lot of radio pop, and I say they, it's uh, her and my, and my kids. So my YouTube is full of Katy Perry and Marshmallow. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to just keep on moving. Um, so um, <laughs> you into stage musicals at all, plays, anything like that? Do you, is that something that you go and see? You probably have access to that in Orlando. Uh, yeah, we have the Dr. Phillips Center, which is great. Um, just a really great venue. It's brought a lot, of, a lot of great talent, a lot of great acts to our city. Um, would I say I'm necessarily a, a musical fan or guru? No, uh -uh. but um, I do have respect for them, and I do enjoy them. Uh, we just watched Lyle Lyle Crocodile, if that's anything. <laughs> I would think that the, 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 the set designer in you might take pleasure just from watching what a bigger production is able to pull off, you know, knowing that it's moving around and stuff like that. Oh, man, it's incredible. And that's, you know, to watch a big stage production that travels, you know, whether it's a live show, whether it's, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers or if it's Hamilton or whatever, just knowing that that show is only going to be here for a little bit and you have to figure out how to pack all that stuff up, move it to the next place and set it up. You know, that's, that's just pretty incredible. The minds that it takes to do that. Could you imagine doing that as a traveling person, maybe in another life? It's probably not something you want to do now as a father and all that, but could you see yourself doing something like that? Oh, I really enjoyed traveling when I could, when BC, um, before children, uh, it was great. Uh, Traveled all over, you know, Ireland and Puerto Rico, Mexico, Canada. Um, yeah, I mean, traveling's great. Uh, I think having a family, though, um, I value that time that we get to spend together because uh, I know it's short. Um, but um, but yeah, someday maybe. Hmm. Um, okay, you ready for speed round? Sure. Do you have a nickname? that has stuck over the course of your life besides your last name? Uh, Wolf, Wolfie. Is your middle name Puck? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was trying to think no. of famous Wolfgangs. It's like Mozart and the cooking guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when was the last time you bought music that had physical form? At a show. I think it was a Marco Benevento show. So a little merch, little little CD from the table. Do you? Yeah, I think he had to. I think he needed gas money to get, like get to the next show or something. So I bought it. Do you do karaoke? Absolutely. What would be a go-to song for you? Aha's "Take on Me." Awesome. You could do that in tap shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I could try. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter the arena to? Either ACDC, can I give like multiples? ACDC, uh, Tool, or I don't know why I want to say Primus or Prodigy. That's four, I know. Uh, we're going to go with Primus. I'm picking that for you. Um, <laughs> what's your, uh, what's your uh, wrestler name then? The Big Bad Wolf. If you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times in your life? I can only pick one, huh? Yeah, it's a guess. You don't have to be right. What was the first thing that popped into your head? Well, Soulful Strut. The second was Shameless by Garth Brooks, which was a Billy Joel song. Well, all right. Do you know about the Weird. Garth Do you know about the Garth Brooks side project that he's had scrubbed from the internet where he was emo? Yeah. Um Chris What was the guy's name? Chris something? Chris Styles? Yeah. Chris that's uh, it's come up on the show a few times before. Most people are unaware. You knew that, so you clearly were a Garth Brooks fan. Rubbed from the internet. Well, really? I maybe not literally, but it's pretty hard to find. It's pretty hard to find actual footage of him doing some of the stuff that was released by just simply googling it. So I assume there's some activity making it disappear. Oh man, it was bad. 
So you not only were you familiar, but you can remember it sort of. Oh yeah. His haircut. I just remember like he dyed his hair like jet black and had this kind of like what I think he wanted to be like a David Bowie cut. Um, uh-huh. it, it just kind of came across Metro before Metro was a thing. Yeah. His head was shaped wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what it was. His head was shaped wrong. <laughs> well, we're talking about Garth Brooks here. Um, okay. Collect myself. It- <laughs> There's no hat. He needs a hat. And he got the little soul patch. Out. Little soul patch. Oh out. yeah, and it, I think he used shoe polish uh, for that. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind that was distilled, you what would it be? Distilled me? Yeah, like your essence. Not necessarily like what you drink at a bar, but like you know something that that has your brand on it. It'd be um, it'd be smoky. Right, be soulful, but at the same time very earthy. Can we get some ingredients? Like tangible ingredients? Yeah, because we're like, we're doing a a cookbook. So it'd be like a little bit of love or a whole lot of love. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I think he meant liquors and or flavors that go in. Liquors. I mean, I'm writing this stuff down either way. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so a whole lot of love would probably be bourbon. Right. And then uh, basically you're going to make an old fashioned because I feel like I've got that old fashioned in me, you know, being raised by my grandparents. It's hard to kind of avoid that. Like bluegrass music and like old church music is in my soul as well. Uh, But yeah, let's make it a bourbon drink of some sort. But it's got to be a little bit smoky, for sure. With a little bit of dirt in it. <laughs> yeah, just some, some of that earth, you know, some of that grit. What about a name? What would you call it? Because I was oh, thinking, man. I was thinking uh, with your wrestler name, you know those alcoholic drinks, like those shots that have like the fire on top, and you got to like blow it out to drink it or whatever? I don't know. Call it a um, uh, huff, puff, and blow, and you just got to do something like that. I don't know. But, like, Ooh, that was my idea, but wow, do whatever you, you want. went kind of a layer deep there with some, <laughs> with some yeah. three little pigs wolf action. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think we're just going to stick with that. Okay. Can we just say huff and puff? Yes. I think that that's, works. That, that gets there. You can. It tells the same story with one less word. That's economy I mean, and storytelling. We can reevaluate this later, maybe, you know, during the edit, the final edit. Uh, but, um, you know, maybe just eliminating the blow part. Yeah. But do I want to do that? I don't I don't know. This is a college station? Uh no, we're the NPR station that almost reaches Orlando. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll turn my frequency uh reader up a little bit. Then. Um okay, new question that I haven't tried it but a couple times. Um what activities or pursuits make you completely lose track of time? Hmm. Uh, so just right off the cuff it's just things I don't know or understand. I don't think that's the answer that you were looking for. No, but I get it. But, I get what you mean. Like, cause then you're just you know, immersed like, in trying to solve a problem. Yeah. I, I like that space. You know, that, that, what could it be like? Um, so in what I do, right. It's like they write down the actor does this and then they walk into this environment and they describe that. Right. <clears throat> I can get lost in that forever into the what ifs and what it could be. Um, are there any songs that you'll avoid listening to because of the memory you're associating them with or the fact that you've just heard them too many times? Um, so I'm not a huge fan of ska um, or like punk. I, okay, I, I get it. Um, if I have to, I will. Uh, I guess the other one is uh, Celine Dion or Brian Adams. Okay whole not just songs but not even just just entire artists <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much just because i don't i don't think i could single out a celine dion song per se um are there any songs or music you've just heard too many times because of work that you will want to avoid uh, i still like it but so just, oh no that, that one never gets old i did some <laughs> decorating for for christmas this is the uh, the loop they play at the entrance. 
Yeah, it's awesome. I could listen to that all day, man. That's that's a special score right there. That's that's why I have a job. But I was gonna say I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. So that one or that Mariah Carey Christmas song. So pretty much Christmas songs. Okay. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet in a simultaneous collective global moment, which song would you use? And you know, not hearing these questions. Um, Soulful Strut obviously comes to mind, but we are the world. Pretty, pretty low-hanging fruit with that one, but it's a yeah, good one. Yeah, sorry. There's two sorry. versions of that now. There's one with, you know, classic uh, uh, artists like, you know, MJ, Lionel Richie and all that Cindy stuff. Lopper. There's Cindy Lauper. Now there's like a newer version. Uh, it's probably a few years ago still, but like, you know, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, Miley Cyrus. Not as great. Yeah, I, yeah. I trust you no, on that. It doesn't have- <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it in it. You're right. Well... You know, I don't know. See, like, that to me is a whole nother podcast. Like, we could just talk about the difference between the digital age and the analog age because, the, you know, to me, that sounds like a track, you know, like that was all tracked on Pro Tools and just digitally regurgitated of what the analog version in its richness and in its every essence of that character of what that recording not only meant but was and just kind of came what came out of all of those people being in the same room and creating that just was you know awesome to recreate it in the digital world is special i'm not going to discount it but it's different it's got a sterileness to it that that didn't have in the original you know but you you have that i guess well, you know, in the original one, uh, now that I think back on it, because when, when you remake the original one, you kind of, people know what to expect. But the, the original one, despite the fact that it had like everyone on it, it was kind of corny. Like it could have come across as, <laughs> as, as a little less awesome than it did because it really did create like a collective moment when they first aired it. Well, I guess that's that forest for the trees thing again, you know. It's like you don't realize what you're doing until it's done and it's, 30 years later. Right. Okay. What would your 14 year old self think of who you are today and what you do? I think he'd be proud. Think, um, think he'd be, he'd be like, man, you got your crap together. <laughs> um, well, I don't know how much does he know me? <laughs> <laughs> right. Does, like, is he in my head? Uh, if he's in my head, he'd be like, Whoa, man, I got to figure some things out between like 18 and 25. But um, if he sees me on the surface, he's probably giving me high fives and kind of like shadowing me and, you know, asking me questions because he knows that I know some things about life. But would the 14-year-old me ask questions? Yeah, probably, for sure. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good, that's a pretty refined answer for that question. I appreciate it. Um, okay, it is time for you to recommend three people who you'll uh, have listened to this or ask them to, who you think we can get on, whether, you know, in person or remotely. You know, I'll, I'll give you four and you can edit them out. No, you um, just get three. It's one of our rules. We wrote down rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. And you can bleep that last rubber. I almost made it through the whole thing. One is going to be, can I do my mother? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So my, my mom, uh, her name's uh, Roberta Wolfgang. She's where I got a lot of my inspiration for these three songs from. And I am just fascinated to know what three songs she's going to come out with. Uh, just because, man, we're talking about 70-something years of awesome musical intelligence right there okay cool um two is mary i i brought up mary um during um we were talking about the band or the or the party yeah yeah. party Mm -hmm. and um you know she has uh also kind of a, a church upbringing um and and she just has a lot of really rich soul inside of her. And I would really be curious to hear what her three songs are. Um, and the last one is my buddy in Virginia, uh, Trevor Bricker. So Trevor and I used to play music together in college. Um, and it was just, it was Trevor and Wolfgang, you know, very original. And we would play like acoustic stuff. Um, 
<laughs> you know, secretively between me and you and Jared, uh, I kind of want him to play at least one of his original tunes because he writes songs all the time and he sends them to me and I give him, you know, hey, this is what I felt about this. This is what I think about this. And um, he goes back and he, you know. Yeah, or not. Well, yeah, if if and if and when he does it, we let musicians who make their own work close the show, the podcast version with a parting tune, and that's where they can make. That's where we can make that happen. Oh, that's awesome! That is fantastic. All right, yeah, those are my three. Well then, all right, Wolfgang, you've done it. I appreciate it. The plan finally came together from when Biff awkwardly introduced us as like you know long lost soul brothers or something whatever yeah, he man. said it I'm was so funny well it was so funny when he, he you, you walked up and he was like dude that guy right there meathead that's like orlando meathead because that's what they call me and and then you walked up and he said something like that we just kind of sat there and you were like can't force it and you <laughs> you walked off <laughs> which i appreciated so much and then we chatted later and <clears throat> now we've done this so it's Fantastic to meet you. If I'm ever in Orlando and there's an opportunity for tap dancing with pennies, I'll do it. But any final words from you? No, just thank you so much. You know, this has been uh, an awesome hour and a half. I guess, you know, I know you'll have to edit some of this down uh, to fit within your time slot. So good luck with that. Uh, But yeah, thank you just so much for not only having me on, but for what you guys do. You know, I think that having people tell their story and having people listen to everybody's story is, is what makes the world go round, you know, and, and it, and it helps people to understand that not only are we all in this together, we're all going through the same stuff, you know, and music is always there and it's a consistent variable in our lives. And we need to remember that and to share that with one another. Well, we definitely feel lucky that we get to do what we do, and I appreciate you doing it so much. Well, thank you, Mike. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, we're leaping back one year to episode number 208 guest Jerry Mitchell. Jerry's an investigative reporter whose work has helped lead to convictions of Klansmen for the 1963 assassination of Medgar Evers, the 1963 bombing of a Birmingham church that killed four girls, and the 1964 slayings of three civil rights workers. His first song brought him back to his late teens when he discovered the logical song by Supertramp. He'd heard it on the radio, bought the cassette, and it didn't leave the tape deck of his car for more than a year, and it deeply resonated with him during his first years of college when he was starting to think about how he fit into the world around him and who he wanted to be. 79, Uh and I was going to college, and went to this kind of very strict college, and it just connected, I connected with it in an incredibly deep way. So it's like... Everything seems so magical mm. and mystical. and then yeah. mystical and then you know and then all of a sudden they're teaching you how to be logical and responsible and practical and I just relate to the song in the, in the deepest way and 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 the, especially the last line so you know can you tell me who I am and and I'm like oh wow you know and, and it just it was it seemed incredibly profound at that moment and it still is I think it's a great question who am I really. Keep listening.